out of paper, out of stock. There's friendly faces around the block. Break loose from the chains that are causing you pain. Call Michael and Stanley, Jim Dwight Creek. Hey everybody, welcome to Out of Paper, a podcast about NBC's The Office. What's up, Dan? How's it going, Rob? That's going good. Cool. You know, just Monday. Lazy Monday. Well, not for me. Okay, well, not your Scranton Monday over here. That's right. In beautiful, overcast, rainy, cold Portland. Pretty bleak out there. (laughs) (laughs) But not so in here. So, um, yeah, this is the first episode of podcasts that we've been planning for a number of years. That's right. We have been talking about this a while. Yeah. How long has it been? That we've been planning this podcast? Well, I guess so. I guess maybe that's only been for a year or two. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the idea maybe of a general three. podcast has been for several years. Yeah. But, uh, it's funny. I brought it up to my uncle whenever we first started talking about doing a podcast, and now every time I see him, he's like... Oh, are you guys doing that podcast? <laughs> I'm always like, no. But now we are. Here we are. We're doing yeah. it. And it's good because everyone I've told about it also, every time I see them, they're like, hey, how's that podcast going? So now we have a, an answer for them. Yeah. We're uploading it soon, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> so we've known each other for what we determined was 15 years. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. We were 18 now we're, I'm, thir- I'm 33. <laughs> I'm 32. So Going yeah. on 33. So, wow. Long time. It's been a while. And, and the one constant throughout all of it is our fandom of The Office. That is Even true. Even in those years before it came out. That is true. We, yeah. in spirit. I feel like every time we <laughs> hang out, we have at least one officism exchange. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how you can still do that. Since the, what, 11 years since it came out? Yeah. And uh, I guess we started watching it probably around season four, I think. we. I was going to say it's 14 years since it came out, but we only started watching it 11 years ago. Yeah, but we were lucky enough to catch up and then catch the rest of it live-ish on TV. Maybe a hiccup here and there after Steve Carell's departure, but uh, right, we've been around the block more than enough times since then. That is very true. <laughs> and then back around the block. As I'm sure many of our listeners yeah. have as well, especially if they're, you're interested in this podcast. Yeah, so to the three friends and family members listening, yeah, this is for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully one day, someone else. <laughs> oh. So yeah, anyway, we uh, wanted to start a podcast. We thought it would be fun to analyze the show episode by episode, offer any fun facts that we found, trivia yeah, get you guys ready for the office trivia at your local bar. Yeah. Maybe up to date on any uh, news about the show. Hmm. I've heard rumors of a possible, uh, what do you call it, a brain... Reunion? Reunion, yes. Yeah, I heard there was. it's either going to be like a special or like a movie or even just like a quick episode. I don't, I'm pretty sure the idea of them doing another season has been kind of shot down ah that's too bad yeah although i guess you know it'd probably be for the best ultimately yeah i was gonna say i don't know a i don't know if they'd be able to get 
the entire original cast back together and be, you know, sometimes a reunion like that or like rebooting a show does feel awkward. That's true. And not that it would ruin the series as we know it, but you know, yeah, you want to, you know, keep the last memory of it a good one. Exactly. And, um, so by the way, it's January 14th, 2019 for recording this episode. Um, I think Steve Carell just hosted Saturday Night Live recently. I know neither of us mm. generally watch that show. I was no. wondering if you happen to catch that appearance online or not. I didn't. Either. Might be worth looking into. I know that there were a few gags about The Office I've seen. Cool. Making the rounds online. So maybe once we well, get our social media up and running, we can share some clips and some links. Right. Even, maybe a meme or two. Even talk about it in our second episode. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? All right. One thing we're also going to do throughout the podcast is uh, bring up the actors and talk about their careers and what else they've worked on throughout, because that kind of gives you a little context into who they are and how they act and, you know. Definitely. Yeah. Their brand of comedy. And it's just kind of cool to see what other people might have been involved in before or after. That's true. Any, if there's any crossovers or... You know, things they've been in together prior to The Office. Yeah. Or any single shot characters that don't have any credits besides being in The Office, who you can mm. assume are a friend of someone who is involved yeah, or something that's true. like that. That's true. Um, and we're going to try to introduce the characters that way as they appear, but obviously at first trying to cram all of the principal characters into one episode would take forever. So the first season we're going to try to break them up throughout, but after that, you know, any cameos or, or new characters, we'll definitely do a deep dive into. Definitely. Yeah. Um, our plan is to release an episode every week. And yep. every episode will represent a single episode of the show. So we're going to do our best. Barring any major life events, we should be able to hit that mark. Yeah. That being said, let's get into a little background of the show in general. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. So the show creator is Greg Daniels. Yeah. And he has uh, done quite a lot before working on The Office and during and since. So Gregory Martin Daniels is his full name. He was born June 13th, 1963. Um, he worked on numerous television series. He was a writer for Saturday Night Live, The Simpsons, um, King of the Hill, the Office, obviously, a creator and writer, and he went on to works on, work on Parks and Recreation uh, after his work on The Office as well. Went to Harvard University, uh, old friends with Conan O'Brien. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. His very first writing credit was for not necessarily the news. With Conan O'Brien, it looks like. Yeah. And uh, then he became what seems to be a, a regular writer for Saturday Night Live and The Simpsons. He joined The Simpsons during the fifth season. Yeah, it looks like he wrote several classic episodes. I am not that up to date on my Simpsons knowledge at all. I mean, I was once, but it's been a long time. It's been a while. But yeah, he actually co-created King of the Hill after that with Mike Judge, as mm -hmm. well as writing for it. And which uh, I'll get you to watch one of these days. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely more interested to watching it and watching it now. Um, yeah, and he was with that show for all 13 years it was on the air. Yeah, which ran concurrently with The Office. I mm -hmm. think it was already started by this point. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was on for a long time. And it's a fantastic show for anybody listening who hasn't gotten a chance to check it out. 
highly, highly recommend. And then beyond Parks and Rec, it looks like he's the executive producer for a TBS series called People of Earth. Yeah, I've actually seen some of that. Is it good? It's pretty good. Yeah, I mm. stopped somewhere along the way for, I think, just life, you know, other things I was right. doing. But uh, yeah, it stars Wyatt Cenac, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, oh, yeah. You know what? I remember seeing an ad for that not too long ago. And I didn't know or notice that uh, Greg Daniels was the executive producer, but it makes a lot of sense thinking about some of the comedy stylings of the show and things I like about it. Interesting. So, yeah, that's another good one to check out. Yeah, I'll have to do that. So, obviously, the show The Office was started, well, maybe not obviously, but a lot of people <laughs> know that The Office was started by uh, Ricky Gervais and writing partner Stephen Merchant. Yeah, they took seven years to write the, uh, I don't know if that was just the pilot or the first the season. The whole first season. I would hope it's the whole first season. <laughs> But I mean, Certainly you know, long enough. sometimes creativity can be an excruciatingly long process. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Seems like he's put significantly less work into a lot of other things he's done <laughs> since. <laughs> well, he doesn't need to. Yeah, I guess that's also he's true. He's made millions and millions off this franchise. Although as much as I love the U.S. office, I've always been a much bigger fan of extras than the British office. If we're comparing Ricky Gervais shows. Absolutely. But very different styles and yeah types of comedy. Oh, yeah. Extras is amazing. Yeah. Also another good show to highly recommend to any listeners. Yeah. Um, and then the first episode of the U.S. version called The Pilot, uh, Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais get a writing credit, largely because I don't even know if you could call it parallels, but... I would say yeah, it's almost the just, template for episode one of the U.S. office is almost directly taken from the first episode of the U.K. office. And I'm pretty sure that's from what I read. What Greg Daniels did was he took their script and just reworded it and uh, tried to make it more accessible to American audiences. Americanized a of, it. A lot of Britishisms that wouldn't really translate over. Yeah, and there was. And uh, certain things were just rewritten entirely. And but. It's almost a carbon copy of the British version. And uh, I feel like pretty much every other episode, like especially since the end of season one of the U.S. office, has a very different feel than the pilot. Absolutely. Uh, the episode was directed by someone whose name that we're <laughs> kind of confused how to pronounce. So we're going to do our best. We believe it's Ken Quapis. Let's go with Quapis or Quapis. Could be Quapis. Maybe Quapi. Ah, Quapi. <laughs> it didn't occur to me till now. But yeah, that's possible. Maybe using option into the mix. French? Would that be French? Yeah. Although he didn't look or sound French, but I don't know how someone looks French. But uh, but this guy's got quite the resume. Uh, he's he directed does. twelve episodes of Larry Sanders, a show that we both. Oh uh, yeah, definitely one enjoy. of the best. Yeah, honestly, probably the the Office wouldn't exist without Larry Sanders' show. Absolutely, nor would. Seinfeld, Seinfeld or, or Curb, Dirty Rock. Or, yeah. I mean, he really changed the game. I mean, that was pretty much, yeah, the first workplace comedy show. The, yeah. They didn't have the talking heads, but no. It was, it was, it was a behind the scenes similar kind of vibe, I would say, as The Office. Yeah. So for anyone that isn't familiar with Larry Sanders' show, since we were talking about it for a while, um, it's a show created in the late 80s by 
the late great comedian Gary Shandling about a fictional TV uh, late night host named Larry Sanders. Yeah. And it just follows uh, his life and the life of yeah people behind the scenes and kind of the bitter, twisted nature of Hollywood in general and had on pretty much every huge comedy and drama star of the 80s and 90s oh, yeah. at one point or another. Yeah. If if you were a celebrity in the 90s and you hadn't been on the Larry Sanders show, then maybe you weren't much of a celebrity. Yeah, might have had a better lineup than real late night shows. Like, yeah. you know. That is very true. I could see there definitely having been, I mean, we were too young when it was on for me to have watched it, but uh, yeah, live, but I feel like there were definitely some weeks where Larry Sanders had better guests than Leno or Letterman, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. Or Arsenio. Yeah. He was pretty big at the time, too. That is true. But anyway, back to The Office. Yes, back to Quapis. Yeah, Quapis. back to Quapis, that's right. Quapi. Quapi. <laughs> <laughs> he directed two episodes of Freaks and Geeks. Yep, another Nin- great show. Yeah, 19 episodes of Malcolm in the Middle. There was 11 episodes of the Bernie Mac show. 11 episodes of the Bernie Mac show. Uh, he's He did an episode of Parks and Rec and three episodes of the more recent show, Santa Clarita Diet. Yeah, it's another fun show on Netflix. Yeah, um, and he's done 13 episodes of The Office, some of which, actually almost all of which, are... Uh, they're big heavy hitters. They are. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the pilot is probably the least of all of them. And I mean, since it's the first episode of the show, it's still plenty important. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he directed the series finale um, and just a lot of episodes that as we get into are like, you know, major plot turning points in the show. It's true. We'll try not to, you know, outwardly spoil any major plot points, but we have to assume that most people have either seen or heard about the office in passing at this point. So we're not right. Gonna there's be super strict about there's that. Some, there's certain things that'll come up that, you know, maybe while not apparent in the, in the chronology or not significant in the chronology of the show at the time, definitely foreshadow something or definitely. And yeah, we feel like we have to talk about that when it happens. But yeah, we'll try not to just outright spoil things. Yeah. So no talking about that episode where Dwight dies. (laughs) (laughs) Jim finally gets him. (laughs) Just for anyone who hasn't seen the show before, somehow that doesn't ever happen. So don't worry. Don't be waiting for the scene. The ultimate Jim prank. (laughs) Yeah, the episode where Jim's prank goes either really wrong or really right. (laughs) Um, this first episode aired on March 24th, 2005. Yeah. And, uh, I guess without further ado, let's take it away. Let's jump in. Yeah. All right, Jim, your quarterlies look very good. How are things going at the library? Oh, I told you I couldn't close it. So, so you've come to the master for guidance. (laughs) Is this what you're saying? Grasshopper? Uh, actually you called me in here. But, yeah. All right. Well, let me show you how it's done. Yes, I'd like to speak to your office manager, please. Yes, hello. This is Michael Scott. I am the regional manager of Dunder Mifflin Paper Products. Just wanted to talk to you manager on manager. All right. Done deal. Thank you very much, sir. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. My mistake. <clears throat> that was a woman I was talking to. So, she had a very low voice. Probably a smoker. So, 
<clears throat> so that's the way it's done. <laughs> so that's the way it's done. Um, so yeah, that first scene that just uh, played a clip of, that's the very first scene of The Office where we have Michael having called Jim to uh, talk about his sales reports, and then the exchange plays out as you just heard, heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was pretty good little intro for uh, Michael mm-hmm. and Jim, and uh, we just recently watched the British office to be able to compare, and uh, they didn't really have a scene like that. No. Yeah, it started off with a scene about the temporary worker coming, and uh, I think it was him and uh, Don, the receptionist. Or no, it was the temp. The temp was sitting in his office. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. they were talking about... And he was... Yeah, talking down to the warehouse. Right. Yeah. And he was talking on the phone, like making it, like doing the gestures, making it seem like anything the other person on the other end was saying was arbitrary. (laughs) Yeah. And he's just like lying to the person, does the Pinocchio motion with his nose. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, yeah, definitely a bit of a change up here with uh, we get Michael and, you know, kind of first introduction to his character and Mm -hmm. just kind of his ridiculousness that, uh, you know, he called his employee in to talk about his sales, and then is like, "So you come to the master for help? You called me. You in called here. me in here." And then uh, proceeds to make the sales call and bungle it. Yeah, his first social faux pas of many. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I noticed uh, Michael looks kind of pleased with himself. At, as I mean, it seems like he's probably on camera for the first time since. Yeah, you know, they're filming the fake documentary in his workplace, and we know Michael loves showmanship. And I feel like more than anyone, he he plays it up for the cameras. Absolutely. Yeah. But I feel like he plays it up differently. Like, this almost feels a little more similar to the way that uh, Ricky Gervais plays it up as the manager in the British office. Right. Cocky. Like, kind of like, an oh, like, look what I did. Ha, right. ha, ha. Like, even though he genuinely didn't mean to make that mistake, mm-hmm. he kind of relishes in it. Right. So let's talk about Steve Carell. Yeah. Steve Carell. Plays Michael Scott, American actor, writer, and director. Yeah. Born August 16th, 1962. Mm-hmm. He uh, was a correspondent on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart from 1999 to 2005. That was my first introduction to him personally. Yeah, me too. Is that... Did he did he come from Second City? He did. Um, but yeah, he starred in Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Evan Almighty, Get Smart. Crazy Stupid Love, the incredible Burt Wonderstone. There's tons and tons of movies that he starred in at yeah. this point. He became a pretty big movie star after uh, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, I think, was kind of his big movie break. It was, yeah. I think that's that was his first starring role. Yeah, and that uh, also turned out to be the only reason that The Office did not get canceled after its first season on NBC. Was the success of that movie? Yeah, they pretty much... Uh, wow decided that you know they didn't have the viewership numbers after the first six episodes the first season that they wanted and it was an interesting but ultimately failed experiment and then uh that summer before they gave the caster crew any notice either way but you know had indicated internally they definitely were going to cancel 40 year old virgin released instantly steve carell became a huge movie star and nbc realized they now had a big movie star on retainer under contract for seven years and they could either break the contract and throw that away or try to make it work for them. Much to Steve Carell's chagrin. Yeah. Cause Steve <laughs> Carell, it seems like, uh, despite his comedic genius, never really wanted to be in comedy. 
right. which is a damn shame because he's phenomenal. He really is. I mean, he's his most of his roles now are dramatic roles. Yeah, and I mean, to his credit, he's a pretty phenomenal oh, dramatic actor as well. Absolutely. It seems like if you can kind of make comedy work for you as well as he does, it's mm-hmm. just a shame not to see people flex that muscle. Agreed. It's, it's kind of like Brian Cranston, Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. You know, he was amazing in Malcolm in the Middle. Just like his comedic timing and his physical humor was just... And Seinfeld. That's right, and Seinfeld. I feel like even in Breaking Bad, though, he had his, his moments. Oh, pff, I mean, he was amazing in Breaking Bad. That's well, no, much... I don't mean quality-wise, just comedy-wise. Oh, comedy-wise, yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, of course, he was amazing in Breaking Bad. Yeah. <laughs> if but, anything, that was his big break. Right. And people have said, I've I've heard it in the, at least a couple of Marin interviews, where comedic actors actually make really great dramatic actors, because... Yeah. I mean, I don't know the reason, but it just seems like if you have the the emotional intelligence to pull off comedic timing it somehow translates in the i'm pretty sure that is the reason yeah yeah it's just you know that's a lot harder to pull off and anybody could play make-believe maybe with varying levels of success but to pull off comedic timing in a way that works is both a gift and a skill right not easy to do no especially when you have cameras on you yeah I mean, listen to us. You know, we don't even have cameras. (laughs) This is terrible. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so Steve Carell did uh, tons of work before working in The Office. And uh, it's great that The Office had him uh, for as long as they did. Yeah. So I guess major spoiler alert to anyone that hasn't seen it. He's not there the whole run. No. But he's there for most of it. Mm -hmm. And they certainly made the best of it. He was nominated as America's Funniest Man in Life magazine. Yeah. And also won Golden Globe for Best Actor, uh, television series, musical, or comedy for his work in The Office, actually on the first season. Yeah. So, I guess, critical darling, uh, not so much network darling. <laughs> <laughs> At least not yet. Little did NBC know he would become the backbone of their network for years. He really was. Yeah. All right, moving on. So the next scene after this introduction, we see Michael essentially introducing his office, which he calls his kingdom. Yeah. And the first person we come across is Pam. Ah, see, we have the entire floor. So this is my kingdom, far as the eye can see. Ah, this is our receptionist, Pam. Pam! Pam, Pam! Pam Beasley. Pam, Pam. Michael does his famous Flintstones impression. Comes back a few more times in the series. Yes. And gets referenced by Pam uh, when we don't get to hear it, but she recounts something that Michael doesn't remember at the moment, which is her coming up to him or him coming up to her and going, Pam, Pam, and then sneezing in her tea and saying, it's fine. It's just allergies. <laughs> <laughs> But that's not for a few seasons. It's <laughs> uh, so good. And then after that scene, we get a talking head with Michael. Michael's just kind of talking about his managerial abilities. Yeah. Shows off his world's best boss mug. Yes. Which is a kind of iconic to the show. Yeah. It's shown in the, is it shown in the credits? I guess that's the, the it Dundee. Is. No, okay. no, no, no. It, it's still shown in the, I mean, it's one of the first shots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after bringing up the mug and talking up his managerial prowess, we find out that 
Michael bought the mug for himself from a Spencer Gifts. Yeah. That's uh, so good. It says it all. It really does. Got it from a Spencer's Gifts. <laughs> <laughs> so from here we move on. Uh, it'll probably be a little more analytic uh, future episodes just because they're not, you know, a complete copy of another show's first episode. Right. But, uh, and they have their own feel. But we move on to the first introduction of uh, Dwight, another salesperson with Jim, who we met earlier with Michael. Yeah. And Dwight is removing his his phone receiver from a locked drawer in his desk. <laughs> yeah. And attaching it to the phone base station, all while very annoyingly singing <laughs> Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> and we'll play the clip. Uh, one thing to point out about the little drummer boy is that uh, later in the series we find out that it's Angela's favorite song. Yeah. And maybe it's possible that Dwight himself recently found out that this is Angela's favorite song. Yeah, it's possible. Which is why he's maybe singing it. I could see that. Yeah. He is attracted to two different races, as he admits in the next episode, you know, white and Indian, and she is a white woman, so. (laughs) (laughs) So Dwight is played by an actor that goes by the name of Rain Wilson. Yes, Rain Dietrich Wilson. Dietrich. Born January 20th, 1966. He has worked as an actor, writer, director, and producer. He's best known for Dwight, um, as one could surmise. But we actually had both seen him prior to this show. Yeah, in Six Feet Under. Six Feet Under. Can't remember. What was his name in that? I do not remember off the top of my head. Something something dweeby. Yeah, he was an interesting character. uh, Very uh, soft-spoken. Kind of a gentle soul weirdo. Not entirely unlike Dwight. I feel a lot more passive. I, f- I feel Much like more if, passive. if that Rain Wilson character met Dwight, he would like lock himself in a room and not come out for a while yeah, out of fear. Much less full of himself. Yeah. A little more insecure. And he's a coroner. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Which it takes a certain type to do that. Yeah. He was an interesting guy, but he was great in the role. Uh, not really a comedic role so much, but he did a great job. Hmm. Uh, he earned three consecutive Emmy Award nominations ah, for Outstanding snag. Supporting Actor. I guess he never won. That's a shame. Yeah, that's a bummer. He's really good. Seattle native. Yeah. He's another Pacific Northwesterner. Started acting in college, the University of Washington. He worked in theater in New York City after graduating in 1986. He was also in Galaxy Quest. Wow, that was his film debut. Yeah. I did not know that. I didn't either. I remember him in it. I mean, he's a supporting yeah, role. I think right. he might have had he was, a couple lines. He was one of the aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, also in Almost Famous. I don't remember him in that. I don't remember him in that either. Huh. Maybe we can watch it again and find him. Yeah. Is that House of a Thousand Corpses? Is that a Rob Zombie movie? That is. Yeah. yeah I saw that, but I don't remember his part in it either. Wow. 
Oh, here we go. A long time ago. This says his name. He was Arthur Martin in Six Feet Under. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. There's and no I way I ever would have remembered that. No, me either. <laughs> I mean, I would have remembered Arthur. Like, that rings a bell. Yeah, for sure. But wow, he was in there what looks like to be at least two seasons. For some reason, I thought he was only in like a, a short run of episodes in one season. Yeah, that's what I remembered too. Yeah. Uh, I guess it could have been spread out over a couple if maybe he was only shown like yeah. every other episode or maybe they hired him and then he left and then he came back. I know that happened a few times, different people that worked there. Could have been he was involved in like home. a flashback scene here and there. That could also very well be the case. Yeah. Or maybe he came back to declare his love for Ruth. <laughs> Was that it? <laughs> That's possible. But either way, he's a great actor. Yes. And, uh, very iconic as Dwight. Yeah. And I feel like maybe the most iconic character in The Office, uh, besides Steve Carell, is Michael. It's true. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe both of them uh, did most of the improvisation throughout the series yeah michael and rain right yeah yeah i read that too yeah and uh i feel like he's definitely one of the wackiest people in the ensemble he's the kramer of the show he is the kramer of the show as michael describes him at some point later on he says the office is like friends and he's chandler (laughs) and joey and pam is rachel and dwight is kramer (laughs) (laughs) oh that's amazing <laughs> um, since the office, who's in a, I believe it's a movie called The Rocker a comedy. And, yeah, and Super. Yeah, which was like an artsy superhero ish. Yeah, I, I don't know how artsy I'd say it was. Uh, well, I mean, maybe a little more artsy than most superhero movies. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at. I didn't I don't know how say much of a superhero was, movie it was either, though. No. <laughs> Well, that's my point. Yeah. It's kind of about the dangers of unchecked mental illness. Right. But he's great in it. Mm -hmm. Really disturbing, funny, but really, really dark. And he's also got a recurring role on Star Trek Discovery. I did not know that. Neither did I. I've watched a couple episodes of that, but I couldn't get into it. Well, now you got one more incentive if you ever decide to try to go back. He also has... uh, his own YouTube channel, and I guess loosely or maybe more established now, a digital media company called Soul Pancake. Yeah, I've heard of that. I've watched a couple um, of their clips on YouTube, and they do some funny skits. Like they have a kid president. This little This little kid sits at a fake Oval Office desk and says what he wants to change in the world and various huh. other things. I know that musicians have come on his show and rain like play songs with them and sing with them and stuff so oh, that's cool yeah yeah he seems like a pretty cool guy in real life he does and uh nothing like dwight no anything maybe a little more like ron swanson maybe that's just the beard could be the beard yeah but um, anyway yeah after after we get dwight's little intro we get our first talking head with jim yeah we're gonna play that clip do mm-hmm. we have it yes All we right. do we're gonna do the audition means that my job is to speak to clients on the phone about uh, quantity, type of paper, uh, whether we can supply it to them, whether they can uh, pay for it. And uh, I'm boring myself just talking about it, to be honest. 
So that was Jim's audition tape for the show, but it's pretty much word for word the line in the episode that that we get with Jim's first talking head scene. Yeah, which was also line for line uh, Tim, the British version of Jim's uh, talking head scene. That's right. <laughs> Basically, exactly. And acted in a very similar manner, too. In a very Jim way. Yeah. Classic Jim. Jim Tim. <laughs> so, yeah. John uh, Burke Krasinski was born October 20th, 1979. He has also worked as a screenwriter, film producer, and director, in addition to actor. He's won two Primetime Emmy Award nominations. Uh, so, I guess he didn't win them. He just got nominated. Yeah. And two Screen Actor Guild Awards. And Time named him one of the 100 most influential people in the world in 2018. Holy cow. Yeah. How did they quantify that? I am not sure. Because, I mean, (laughs) he has come out with a couple of movies and a show in the past couple of years. uh, Yeah, and Jack Ryan. I don't know if I'd consider him one of the most top 100 most influential people in the world. In. Although, wow. if this podcast goes anywhere and John Krasinski ever wants to do an interview, I take that back, John. You're the most influential person <laughs> in the world and in my life. Yes. <laughs> if there was a camera here, I'd be giving it a gym face. I wear a bracelet, WWJD. What would, <laughs> what would Jim do? Does it have a gym face on it? <laughs> yes. Oh, That sounds like a great bracelet. So he studied acting at Brown University and the National Theater Institute. Yeah. Played minor roles in movies, off-Broadway plays, before he was cast as Jim Halpert. And yeah, looks like he's been in a good number of movies. Um, Licensed to Wed, Leatherheads, Away We Go, Complicated, Something Borrowed, Big Miracle, Brief Interviews with Hideous Men. Hollers. Uh, most recently, he co-wrote, directed, and starred in the horror film A Quiet Place, which I haven't gotten a chance to see yet, but it's supposed to be pretty great. I haven't watched that yet either. We should do that one of these days. Yeah. Let's make a plan. And he's also the title character in the new Amazon thriller series, Jack Ryan, which he also produces. Yep. And you have seen that. Well, I've Some seen four, maybe five episodes of that. And it's great. And he's he's great, great in it. Yes. And that's that. that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> and it uh, looks like he also has a production company, Sunday Night Productions, that he formed in 2013. He's married to actress Emily Blunt, and they have two daughters. Not to Jenna Fisher. No. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been... Too good to be true. <laughs> well, we don't know how they feel about each other. Maybe not for them. Well, but they do seem to be in interviews, pretty fond of one another. Okay, so in interviews, they were both they were both really hoping that each other got the part when they were auditioning. I saw that. Yeah, they clicked yeah. really well. Right, and, uh, they, they had that instant chemistry. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, I got to say that's probably at least. I mean, it's definitely a big reason that the show gained such a following is their chemistry. Oh yeah, because their love, their 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 romance was very believable. Yeah, they had a good will they won't they thing that they kept going for years and years, years. 
<laughs> Should have been more years, in my opinion, but we'll, yeah. we'll cross that bridge when we get there. You think Jim and Pam kind of jumped the shark when they got together? I mean, at a certain in in a certain way, yes. But at the same time, it's like, how long are you are you really going to keep it going? Yeah, you know? narrative standpoint, there's Something, that. Something's got to give at some point. So, uh, yeah. Moving on from Jim's talking head. We uh we get Michael coming out of his office trying to put on a show for the cameras again. <laughs> Walks up to Jim and Dwight and does the classic "What's up?" <laughs> and of course, Jim and Dwight respond, and then they all just kind of stand there awkwardly. Yep, Jim still great after seven years. <laughs> <laughs> and then it turns out Michael had nothing really to say. He was just coming out hoping for some banter that didn't happen, and. As he's walking back into his office sheepishly, he turns around and gives a wave to the whole office, like <laughs> expecting applause for his performance or something along those lines. What does Jim say? Your office is that way? <laughs> <laughs> right. Take care. <laughs> and then it's Jan's introduction. Yeah. We meet the lovely, lovely Jan. So she's... I don't even know what her title would be. She's upper management. It seems like she... I think she's district or manager, maybe? Yeah. That that makes the most sense. Or no, because I guess Michael is district manager. Right, he's, yeah, the regional. Yeah, he's, so he's the regional manager. I guess she would be a VP, probably would make the most sense. Yeah, kind of a liaison between corporate and all the other managers. Yeah, I know it seems like she has a number of managers under her purview. I'm not sure how big Dunder Mifflin is supposed to be. It seems like there's at least five managers that work directly under her. Yeah. But yeah, I guess we never really get a a firm title for her. No. And even when, you know, there's other people vying for her job, they still never say exactly what that job is. They just call it the job. So anyway, Jan is there to talk to Michael about a merger between two branches potential downsizing with potential downsizing due to redundancies alarm bells go off in michael's head (laughs) (laughs) and uh he complains and you know lets her know that he doesn't want it to happen to his people and uh again this is almost a shot for shot line for line from the british remake of the same scene in the british office um even Jan's hairstyle is basically identical to her, you know, British counterpart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the middle of this meeting, we get a call from Todd Packer. Yeah. Who is the outside salesman for uh, not just Michael. It seems he does outside sales for the entire uh, uh, Northeastern. Yeah. I thought it was just the Scranton branch, though. He was just the, the road is it just Scranton Branch? Okay. I It might be more, but I, I assumed it was just them mm-hmm. for whatever reason. At least you never see him interacting with anyone besides Michael for the most part, at least in like a professional capacity. That's true. And uh, yeah, do we have that clip of his Yeah, we have Packer's call? calls oh, okay. right here. Oh, uh, Todd Packer, terrific rep. Do you mind if I take it? Pac-Man. Hey, Bitcoin. Oh, that's not appropriate. Hey, is old uh, Godzilla coming in today? Um, I don't know. I don't know what you mean. Look, I've been needing to ask her one uh, question. Does 
Oh my god! Oh! That's horrifying. Horrible. Horrible person. <laughs> so yeah, this first uh, mention of Todd Packer, and uh, and he's played by David Keckner. Although on the phone, that is not David Keckner. Um, couldn't figure out who that is based on any research, but it's somebody else. He didn't get a credit. Yeah, I feel like maybe could that have been Creed? I was trying to like really listen deep to see who it could have sounded like, and uh, I know there's at least one other occasion where Michael makes a call to someone. I think it's like the manager or or uh, receptionist of an industrial coal mine. And I feel like that was definitely Creed Bratton just like changing his voice a little bit on the phone to be some other character. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. So, and I mean, with his, you know, music career and his singing, you know, he's probably maybe a little more capable of modulating his voice than the rest of the people involved. One thing to point out is when uh, Jan entered the building and Michael was kind of doing a talking head with the camera and introducing her, Mm -hmm. uh, he mentioned that... uh, Sometimes he calls her Hillary Rodham Clinton. Not to her face. Not to her face. <laughs> not that he's afraid of Jan. Because he's not. Because he's not. <laughs> but uh, if you if you heard in that phone call with Todd Packer, Todd Packer referred to her as Godzillary. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah I didn't even put those two together, but good So call. this must be a running joke between Michael and Packer and maybe other managers, but... And she does have undeniable similarities to Hillary mm. Clinton, just in the kind of mm-hmm. confidence and no nonsense corporate kind of yeah lady. She comes off as very harsh, firm, cold. Yeah, yeah. If you sat across from her, Jan, not Hillary, on a bus and she wasn't moving or on train, you might think she was dead. <laughs> it's very cold. <laughs> um. And she's played by Melora Hardin. Melora Hardin. Yeah. There you go. And uh, we will go into details about Melora Hardin and her career, but uh, we just figured for the sake of time, you know, we... Yeah, we'll come back to her her next appearance. Yeah, she's in only one brief scene in this episode, and she ends up playing a major role in the series, so, you know, there's better times to come back to her. Yeah. Um. So after the meeting, Michael's really afraid of downsizing, and we see kind of a uh, montage of various people around the office kind of talking about the downsizing, and you know, some of them are nervous about it. Other people kind of start talking about what they would do if they were laid off. I have to assume Pam is the one that uh, told everybody since she was the only office worker in right, the meeting. Right. So then after this montage... We're introduced to BJ Novak, who's Ryan Howard. Yeah, the new temp. The new temp. He comes in and is uh, very enthusiastic. Maybe not very, but more than he is for most of the series. Definitely, probably the most enthusiastic we ever see him. Yeah, it's his first day on the job, and Michael is brimming with enthusiasm, so I think he's just trying to kind of match him and make a good first impression. And he does this first impression by... Trying to imitate the Three Stooges, <laughs> and then trying to show Ryan that he's funny by doing a really horrible impression of Adolf Hitler. Yeah, 
And he doesn't even say anything as Hitler. He just kind of makes barking noises. Yeah. Like, rumf, 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 rumf. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. As he marches and hiles. <laughs> and uh, Ryan just kind of stares at him with a smile on his face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, in that situation, what do you do? Yeah. That's pretty much it. I wouldn't know what to do. First day at a new job. And then, I guess uh, you could leave. Those are the only options. Smile and be polite. Or that's that. Right. <laughs> um. And then we move on to, uh, we get a talking head with Pam talking about what she would do if she were laid off as a result of downsizing. Pamela Beasley. So we've got Jenna, or actually, sorry, full name Regina Marie Fisher, better known as Jenna Fisher. She plays Pam Beasley in The Office. She was nominated for a primetime Emmy for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series in 2007. She was in films like Blade of Glory, Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story, The Promotion, Hall Pass, The Giant Mechanical Man, which was apparently directed by her husband, Lee Kirk. She has been in the NBC comedy drama You, Me, and the Apocalypse, and she's currently in Splitting Up Together. And I also remember seeing her in one scene of That 70s Show, I believe. Oh, really? Or no, it was one episode of it. She was like a semi-main character. Maybe she came back for a couple but she was much, much younger, and uh, she was kind of like a Southern Belle high school girl. Hmm. I think she might have been the prom queen. Interesting. Yeah. Is Jenna a normal nickname for Regina? I don't know. Have you ever known a Regina in I've your life? I've never known a Regina. Yeah. Maybe because they all changed their name to Jenna before I met them. Ah, there you go. I mean, if I was named Regina, I'd probably try to find anything else to go by. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't want to go by Gina. <laughs> Definitely not. I mean, no, not that there's anything wrong with the name Gina, <laughs> but uh, not for me. No. I mean, unfortunately, you're probably very open to uh, a lot of vagina-related name-calling. And that gets referenced in The Office seasons after this, uh, when uh, the women in The Office confront Dwight about how he shouldn't go on a sales call with a mystery female client because he has a problem dealing with women. And uh, I think it's Phyllis brings up the example that uh, Gina from some company said that Dwight called her Gina throughout the entire meeting. (laughs) (laughs) All the women look completely disgusted and Dwight's just like, Gina said that? (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) But yeah, she... uh, plays pam uh who we see is into art uh yeah she doesn't know if she'd want to be a receptionist she's not too worried about downsizing because it kind of gives her an opportunity to go elsewhere explore her artistic side and i feel like it also kind of opens up uh, a character trait that we see over and over again in pam that she's not usually one to take the initiative on things you know if life gives her a push She'll go with it or use it, try to use it to her advantage and change things to a way she might like it more. But uh, Hmm. I feel like she's very passive. It's very true. Yeah. In fact, at one point, she actively tries to not be as passive. Yeah. Yeah. Look out, world. There's a new Pammy in town. (laughs) Don't call her Pammy. Don't call me Pammy. (laughs) So following her talking head, we get uh, a scene that's paralleled in the uk office yes where dwight is (laughs) moving all of jim's papers from hanging over 
onto his desk with a ruler. It looks like a yardstick. A yardstick. And uh, yeah, he just shoves it in between Jim's, the gap. Jim's in the middle of a sales call and says, I'm going to have to call you back. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and uh, Dwight claims that his stuff was over his property line. One word, two syllables. Demarcation. Demarcation. Does Dwight, does Dwight say that? Dwight says that, yeah. Oh, okay, because in the British office... Uh, Same line. Yeah, yep. okay. Not changed at all. The only difference is uh, Rain Wilson does not tap his two fingers on his, his arm. upper arm while he says it. Yeah, okay. He just delivers the line. Is that for two words? I assume that that's like in charades, like, right. you know, two syllables, you tap two fingers on your arm. Uh, yeah. So I guess that's what he was doing. Huh. Uh I don't know if this is like a Dan moment, but I, I never personally got that joke, like either in the British or the American version, like the one word, two syllables demarcation. It's obviously not two syllables. Right. But, uh, yeah. I don't get it either. I always felt like I'm missing something. Yeah. So that could be worth looking into. And yeah. if we have any listeners uh, that want to reach out to us in our yeah social media methods that will let be known at the end of the episode, uh, feel free to educate us. Yeah. Leave us a comment. I had a friend in grade school who would do this exact same thing to You'd me. Just shove everything off your yeah. desk. If if anything of mine was was over the line between our desks, uh, do you have those like desk clumps? Right. Yeah. He he would those. feel that uh, he was totally justified in just taking that piece of paper or whatever it is and just violently throwing it to the ground. Jesus. I mean, he was my best. He was- he was my best friend at the time, but <laughs> someone I know he was, no, I don't think so. Okay. I haven't really talked to this guy since high school, but, uh, you know, we were both kind of nerds back in the day. Yeah. So, and I feel like Dwight kind of embodies that kind of grade school, high school nerd in a sense, just in the pettiness of his, of his arguments. And he does. Yeah. I feel like Dwight, yeah, he like really kind of embodies that like hostile high school nerd attitude. Like, yeah, exactly. The one that kind of talks like this. <laughs> and even though Dwight doesn't talk like that in spirit, he does. He does. <laughs> yeah. So in the British office, uh, the gym character builds a wall using boxes. Like or, empty, yeah, empty Tim, paper boxes. Yeah, stacks up a whole bunch of boxes. Whereas Jim, uh, Scotch tapes, a whole bunch of sharpened pencils pointing in <laughs> Dwight's direction. Creating a wall, so to speak. Yeah, and uh, Dwight's not a big fan of that, and he uses the yardstick to smash them all. No, he uses the the receiver on his phone. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he smashes yeah, all the pencils. Smashes all the pencils down. Off of Jim's phone and uh, lectures uh. him that it's a safety hazard, which, to be fair, it looks like a huge safety hazard. Oh, yeah. Like, if anyone, Dwight or anybody else, tripped and fell over that, like, they... At the very least, be seriously wounded, if not, like, killed from those injuries. It's true. It's pretty bad. One thing to note, one little piece of trivia, is that uh, when it cuts away to the conference room scene that's about to take place, there actually is empty paper boxes stacked on Jim's desk, but apparently they didn't end up using that same joke in the American version because they thought the pencils would be funnier. Yeah. They still shot... You know, or they set so, it up and didn't shoot it. Man. Yeah. A little incontinuity yeah. Easter egg there if you're not paying close attention. 
And it makes sense. In the British one, they had, you know, the kind of fake phone call gag with the boxes stacked up. And, uh, right. you know, Tim, yeah, makes a call and then leaves. And uh, they didn't do anything like that here, so the boxes would have been kind of pointless. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shortly after the wall scene, we get a shot of what's supposed to be the outside of their office building, which is not the same building that we've grown used to seeing. No, yeah, it looks way different. It looks like it's, what is that, six stories, five stories? Yeah, and it's, the video clip that they used was a standard definition camera, which tells me that it was like stock footage from... Like the 90s. Yeah, late 90s, probably, like maybe early 2000s, but not likely. And we see what looks like a major street intersection right on the corner of this building, which from all the later establishing shots of the building and of the parking lot and elsewhere, yeah. we see like it's its own isolated office complex that seems to be on at least like a two lane road. But this almost looks like it would be like, you know, like a four lane, like yeah, or this, six lane, like downtown city. This road. does not look like it would be in Scranton. Yeah. And it's definitely not off an intersection either way. Also, at this point in the show, I don't think they've even established that this Dunder Mifflin is in Scranton. Well, no, no, they do in the intro. They do, yeah. The shots of Scranton. Well, yeah, but I'm saying they probably didn't have the intro made when this episode was shot. But if I remember correctly, I think Jan actually does say the Scranton branch in the meeting. She does, yeah. So, yeah, I guess it would be in Scranton, PA. Right. Which we are going to take a trip out to to check out one day. <laughs> and do a live episode. Oh, God. <laughs> We're here at the Holiday Inn. Beautiful Scranton. Oh, yeah. We just ate at Pizza by Alfredo's. <laughs> and it was horrible. Yeah. Was Alfredo's Pizza or Pizza by Alfredo's the bad one? Uh, there's Alfredo's Pizza Cafe. That's right. Or Pizza by Alfredo's. I believe... Alfredo's Pizza Cafe was the good one. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. The other one is like a hot circle of garbage. <laughs> hot circle of garbage. <laughs> uh, moving on from here, we have um, Michael talking to Pam. He's walking away from her desk doing the million dollar man. Gag. Yeah. Duh. Pam's given him nothing. He brings up that it's from the $6 million man and then segues that into, I don't know if he's trying to flirt with her. It almost seems a little flirty, but almost like he's you trying know, to be a cool guy for the cameras. That's what I think it is more. And he's like, you think, yeah. but he puts on this weird tone that we don't really get from Michael. Uh, what do you think? That'd be a good seller for me. Huh? Yeah. $6 million. That'd be a decent raise. Yeah. And then when Pam brings up that she would like a raise, Michael freaks out and gets all defensive. (laughs) It's very, yeah. uh, Gets very stern manager. He puts on his stern manager face. Yeah. If you're not happy with your compensation, you know, maybe you should take that up with HR, but but not today, Pam. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Try to be. (laughs) Uh, From there, we get a talking head from Michael talking about how he is concerned about downsizing. And, uh, yeah, he calls for a conference room meeting. Is that this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He calls for a conference room meeting. And, uh, this all also happened, you know, pretty much scene for scene in the British episode. Uh, it's true. Dwight comes in and, uh, asks Michael to relay the information to him as the assistant regional manager before telling everyone else. At first in private. Yeah, Michael immediately corrects him. You know, he's not the assistant regional manager. He's the assistant to, to the, regional the regional manager. manager. Yeah. 
Also a joke from yeah. the British episode. He says he's not going to tell Dwight first. And Dwight says, okay, well, you can tell them with my permission. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need your permission. Permission granted. <laughs> um, we get a weird shot that we never see again of uh, people in the conference room. A lot of unfamiliar faces that right. uh, we never see after this scene. You know, Pam is sitting next to some guy that never gets a name we never see yeah stanley's awkwardly standing in the corner he is which seemed like it was similar right shot tracking to the british episode because the one person that pipes up and asks a question about uh if they're gonna be cutbacks uh layoffs is the guy standing in the corner of the room which is where stanley is when he asks it right and uh but it does the scene does end differently with this clip no, 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 Stanley. No, you did not see me in there with her. I said, if uh, if corporate wants to come in here and interfere, then they're going to have to go through me. Right? You know, you can go mess with Josh's people, but I'm the head of this family, and uh, you ain't going to be messing with my chillin'. <laughs> my chillin'. <laughs> and, of course, he gets a... Or you can't be serious look from Stanley after he said that. Yeah, it's also worth mentioning to anyone that might not have seen this uh, that Stanley is black. And uh, <laughs> yes, I feel like that is only worth mentioning because it because definitely factors joke. into Michael's pronunciation of the word, specifically saying it to Stanley, who is not impressed. Absolutely. <laughs> He doesn't seem like he's offended. He, he seems like, I feel like at this point, Stanley and Michael have worked together for a number of years and he's just resigned to dealing with michael yeah it's not his favorite thing but <laughs> it's fine <laughs> he's climbed the ladder to a certain point and he's not going to turn around now yeah i wonder if he was there when michael got promoted to manager i think he was oh, i man. mean the timetables would match up that he would be right and uh while stanley does express the desire to be manager later it doesn't seem like he wants to be manager because he wants to manage an office. It seems like he wants to be manager because he's worked under Michael for so long and he knows his coworkers well enough that he knows he would not want to work under any of them. Right. Right. So it's like, I, I feel like, <laughs> you know, I don't see Stanley as having like a grudge of any kind that he would have gotten passed up for a promotion instead yeah. of Michael. And no. as we find out about Michael, you know, despite his ridiculousness as a person, and as a manager, he probably had the highest sales numbers for like a while before he was ever promoted. Right. He's a gifted salesman. But I'm sure Stanley, regardless of Michael's bona fides, just knowing the guy and who he was, was, you know, yeah, less than thrilled about Michael moving up into that position. Oh, of course. Yeah. But I feel like it's it's just like, even if they did work together, there's no... Any grudge Stanley has with Michael it has to do solely with who Michael is, not like what his position is necessarily. Right. He's a man he does not respect. <laughs> <laughs> so after the conference scene, we get talking head from Jim and Pam kind of laying out their romantic interest or Jim's romantic interest towards Pam. Yeah. Jim talks about what would he do with all the useless knowledge that he has, like Pam's favorite flavor of yogurt, which is mixed berry. Mixed berry. And Pam gets all, you know, all adorably flustered. Yeah. And then we get Jim's first prank. 
Yeah, it's a big moment in the show. It is. So Michael continues showing Ryan around the office, and uh, they stop at Dwight's desk, and Dwight uh, is telling Ryan about his car. Yeah, Michael's goading. So right. Tell him about tell the, him about the car. car you bought, and Dwight brings up, you know, uh, the make and model, which I don't remember off the top of my head. I think it's an IROC. Z something, whatever. Something like that. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, he goes to pull out pictures and uh, he pulls out his stapler on a plate encased in jello. And the pictures are actually stuck on the bottom of the plate. Oh, I didn't notice yeah, that. Yeah. They're stuck to the jello on the bottom of the plate. So <laughs> that's why he took out the plate. He went for the pictures. The pictures were under the plate. Okay. So then, of course, Dwight gets really upset and accuses Jim immediately. Damn it! Jim! Okay. Uh, hold on. Hold on. Judges in session, what is the problem here? You put my stuff in jello again. <laughs> Damn it, Jim. <laughs> camera pans. Put my things in jello again. The camera pans over to Jim. Jim's eating jello out of a cup and says, How do you know it was me? <laughs> and, you know, Michael decides it's time for them to apologize. So uh, he tells Jim to apologize. Jim makes a joke, tells Dwight he's always been his biggest flan. And then Ryan chimes in, says, yeah, you should have put him in custody. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Michael is just enamored. He loves it. Oh, new guy. <laughs> yeah, it's just the way we do it here. It goes around and around. But then he stands there trying yeah. to think of a pun <laughs> himself. Has nothing. So just utters pudding. <laughs> trying to come up with something for pudding. And he can't come up with anything. It's, yeah, just the easiest, it's the easiest word you could like, you know. Dwight or Jim quit putting Dwight stapler. Oh, in jello. So yeah, yeah, I mean that's probably the worst one. But, but Michael had no plan. Yeah, yeah, that's he, Michael. You know, a lot of times when he starts a sentence, he doesn't know how it's going to end. Right. He just hopes he finds it along the way. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get a shot of Jim at Pam's desk, which is his probably the second most likely spot Jim would ever be in the office. Yeah, and I think they're talking about. Uh, Jim's trying to get Pam to go out for a drink with uh, the whole office. The whole apparently. office, apparently. But we don't know if that's actually the case. No. I guess we could assume this is maybe a Friday. Maybe not. I guess you know, yeah. adults can go out drinking anytime they want. Right. But and it, uh, Pam's fiance, Roy, walks in. Yeah, holding a large black garbage bag with an indeterminate thing in yeah, it. Yeah, whatever, whatever the contents in the garbage bag are, it's not heavy. No, not heavy, but very large and bulky. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, this mirrors what happened in the UK office where Don's boyfriend pops in. Yeah. He also has a garbage bag with something in it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Pam has to go, you know, make some copies and... Jim and Roy stand awkwardly next to each other, and uh, you know Jim kind of straightens himself out and makes some sighing noises, looking for something to talk about. Looking awkwardly over at Roy, says, "What's in the bag?" <laughs> and Roy just curtly says, "Tell Pam I'll be in the car." Yeah, Jim's like, "Okay." Or actually, before that, uh, yeah, Jim tells. Roy, that uh, they should both come out oh, drinking with everybody, and Roy immediately just shuts him down. And says, no, no, we really got to be getting home. Yeah, and uh, and then the bag exchange. You're right. So yeah, and then we uh, cut to Jim uh, 
kind of watching Pam go into the back room. Uh, or what is that there? I guess it's just him. That's just him looking out in the oh, office yeah. awkwardly. When after he says, do I think Roy I'll be invited to the wedding? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you get a little talking head that clearly uh, Jim knows. Looks very Roy dis- is not a fan of his. Right. And he looks doesn't look thrilled about the fact that Roy and Pam are likely getting married. Yeah. Well, they have been engaged for years. Years. Right. <laughs> and then following that, we get Michael in his office with Ryan. Yeah. You fan of prank television like uh punked <laughs> or jamie kennedy experiment yeah ryan says he is didn't you say someone in the show was involved in that it was ryan That's ryan right. was apparently in a couple episodes of the jamie kennedy experiment there you go so uh he is a big fan yeah i guess not this version of him but uh <laughs> the actor yeah, the real life yeah so pam gets called in and uh, here's the clip. Have a seat. I was going to call you in anyway. Um, you know, Ryan. Um, as you know, there is going to be downsizing. And uh, you have made my life so much easier in that I am going to have to let you go first. What? Why? Why? Well, theft and stealing. Stealing? Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what am I supposed to have stolen? Post-it notes. Post-it notes? Yeah, God. What are those worth, like 50 cents? 50 cents, yeah. You steal a thousand post-it notes at 50 cents a piece, and, you know, you've made a profit margin. You know, gonna run us out of business, Pam. Are you serious? Yeah, I am. Um, I can't believe this. I mean, I've never even stolen as much as a paperclip, and now you're firing me. But the best thing about it is that, uh, we're not going to have to give you any severance pay because that is gross misconduct. And uh, so just clean out your desk. I'm sorry. Punk! <laughs> Surprise! It's a joke! We were joking around! <laughs> See? Okay, he was in on it. He was my accomplice. And there was just kind of a morale booster thing, and we were showing the new guy around, kind of kind of giving him the feel of the place. So <laughs> you sh- God, you were we totally got you. You're a jerk! I don't know about that. Pam's first fake firing. Yes. <laughs> we see Michael's uh, propensity for pranks. And uh, this also pretty much exactly mirrors the UK office episode. It does, but I also wanted to bring up a couple differences I was thinking about yeah. having just seen that um, that I feel like really highlight the differences between uh, David Brent and Michael Scott as mm-hmm. just managers that, you know, when ricky gervais david brent does the fake firing for the theft of staples in uh the british office he you know kind of knows that the prank is over when she starts crying you know he realizes that he made a mistake Mm -hmm. and he shouldn't have gone so far and he just kind of like sheepishly tells her yeah he's very quiet and very ashamed and he like 
doesn't even really explain himself. He just is kind of like, that's just a little gag we did, you know. It's, he doesn't apologize, but he he just explains that it was just a joke and just very quietly. And she very coldly and harshly says he's a sad little man. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, he just kind of sits there sheepishly, not knowing what to say. And, you know, he's also got a paper in his hand that he tries to, you know, like pass uh, off to, pass the temp. to the temp that yeah. he has sitting next to him. Um, whereas Michael has a different management style. You know, he does the fake firing. He, you know, has the same conversation about the staples. And if you, you know, steal well, 5,000 staples, you post-its, make a, but yeah, or post-its, right. You have a profit right. margin, which yeah. is also a great little, uh, Michael Scott using phrases that don't necessarily make a lot of sense <laughs> in the context. Cause right. I guess one of Profit margin be like once you take expenses out of the equation, yes. and if she's stealing, there's no expenses. Exactly. Yeah, but anyway, she starts crying, and he looks sad and dejected, and like you remorseful. know, like remorseful. Yeah, and even ashamed for a second, and he just kind of sits there silently looking at her. But then it's like I don't know if that remorse is even genuine or if it was just him trying to really sell the prank. Because he immediately revs himself up into a super energetic state of, yeah, it was a joke, you've been ex-punked, and tries to get her to match his intensity, which obviously she doesn't No, do. of course not. But I, I feel like he, Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that was really, that's just Michael's way of trying to save face. Exactly. I think yeah. he thinks that he can get everyone to have a smile on their face again somehow yeah. if he can just pull it off right, which he, of course, can never do. It's true. And uh, Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it seems like he just, you know, tries to go a lot more energetic with it. Yeah. And Pam seems a lot less bitter towards him in general, just more defeated. And just calls him a jerk, but it's like, she doesn't say it in a very hateful way. It's no. just like a, you know, can't believe you would do this kind of right. thing. And then Michael <laughs> brings back that weird swagger voice, kind of like a 90s uh, Rob Schneider. I feel like it's almost like a little Rob schneider swag. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny i never i can see where you're coming from yeah it's only the person yeah. i could think of that kind of has that delivery from yeah. time to time right the weird non i don't know and all the while ryan's just sitting there very awkwardly yeah he es- looks. especially when especially <laughs> when when michael tries to tell pam that ryan was in on the joke ryan yeah. just like <laughs> Without even making eye contact with Pam, just waves his hands in a way where he's just like, nope, nope. Was, yeah, and was he's not shaking his head. This. He is making very firm, unbroken eye contact with his feet. Yeah. <laughs> he is not going to look up and look at that scene. <laughs> and uh, I feel like that's also, it's a trait that we see repeated in Ryan. I feel like Ryan, as we get to know him, is a really interesting character because he's both I don't know. He likes to lie. He's kind of sociopathic at points, but he's also very sensitive. And even though he manipulates people using that sensitivity, it seems genuine at points. I mean, seasons and seasons from now, we'll see Jim and Pam crying over a poem that he wrote that they found. Yeah. They swear each other to secrecy that Ryan could never know that it brought them to tears. (laughs) But yeah, and he seems to get just like emotionally overwhelmed in a lot of situations. Yeah, I can see that, especially when he starts dating Kelly and they're all on and off and on a roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. But just life, I feel like when life throws curveballs at him, he kind of runs out of the room. Right. Or just isn't willing to face it head on or... Yeah, it's true. 
Yeah. He's also a lot younger than everyone else is supposed to be, though. That's true as well. I mean, I guess we can assume he's just out of college because shortly after this, we find out he's starting business school. Yeah. So early <laughs> to mid-20s. Yeah. He never fully processed 9-11. <laughs> so following Pam's fake firing, Michael talks about really the reason that he's, you know, motivated in this position. Yeah, which it's is all about the people. The people. The people. <laughs> and uh, it talks about a, a man from Guatemala he hired first job from since he entered the country. And I guess after a short stint, the man offers Michael to be the godfather of his first child. Yeah, well, that was, he says this is his proudest moment. His proudest moment. When he increased sales. Uh, All right. Yeah, reduced overhead without losing anybody. It was a Guatemalan guy. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Scott, will you be the father, the yeah. godfather of my child? Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Didn't work out, though. I had to let him go. He sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so good. And that really wraps up the episode. I mean, we have a a scene with Jim and Pam where... Yeah, we see Jim sat back down after uh, getting... After finding out that he probably wasn't going to be going to the bar with Pam and Roy. And stayed behind after everybody left, we should mention. Because when Pam walks into Michael's office, everybody's leaving for the day. Yeah, and he had been standing with his jacket on and his bag in his arm, and now he's sitting with his jacket off. Which leads me to believe that he might have been aware that Pam was in Michael's office crying. Yeah. You know, he could have maybe seen the back of her head just, you know, I don't know. Or just been waiting to waiting walk for down her, her in either general. Way. Yeah, you're right. And it <laughs> seems like the uh, the highlight of his day is probably getting to walk out of work with her and maybe right. listen to some music. Yeah, um, they share earbuds. So they prepare to walk out together, and somehow, miraculously, from inside the office <laughs> in a six story building, they can hear Roy's horn from yeah. outside, and instantly know that it's Roy honking. For Pam, yeah. For Pam specifically. Magical car horn MacGuffin that pulls her away. Yeah. But that gives Jim the opportunity to pull a pre-prepared jello mold with Dwight's uh no. his name tag? Michael's no, it's Michael's oh, it's mug. Oh, it's Michael's mug. Yeah. That's right. Michael's mug encapsulated in jello. Yeah. And uh it's also weird because if Pam had walked down with him, would he have like walked her to Roy's car and then run upstairs to plant that in Michael's office? Would he have just left it in his desk? Yeah. It wasn't planned out. He also doesn't ever prank Michael no. that we see ever again. I think that's, yeah, that's yeah. the only time that happens. And the only person that ever pranks Michael is Todd Packer. <laughs> Did you get the package? <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff. You mean the thing? so yeah at this point of the episode now that we're done discussing the pilot of the office um i thought it could be fun if we rated every episode out of 10 and i figure we'll probably eventually either do a top you know 20 episodes maybe a top 10 Mm. maybe a top 30 there's a lot of episodes of the office um seemed kind of silly to start ranking them into a top state you know one episode in So we'll probably move on to that maybe somewhere in season two or even three. Mm -hmm. 
But um, for now, let's go ahead and rate the pilot episode. What do you think, Rob? I think I would give this episode five out of ten jello molds. Five out of ten jello molds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not bad. And it's, I mean, a carbon copy of another episode of a, for all intents and purposes, another show. British series, yeah. So, yeah, I think I'm going to join you with uh, your rating and rate it the same. Um, so, I'm going to give the pilot episode of the office in American workplace, five X punks out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Hey, paper people. We want to hear from you guys. Drop us a line. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash out of paper pod. You can follow our Instagram feed at out of paper pod or hit us up on Twitter at O paper pod, which to me sounds like O Tenenbaum, but Twitter just assigned us this name and now we're stuck with it. So, Thanks, Twitter. And that's it. That's the first episode. Credits roll. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed the first episode of Out of Paper. And uh, stay tuned for episode two. Yeah, we will be back. Out of paper. Out of stock. With friendly faces around the block. Break loose from the chains that are causing you pain. Call Mike and Stanley, Jim DeWine and Creek. Call Andy and Kelly for your business paper needs. Call Dunder Dun- Mifflin. People, persons, paper, people. Dunder Mifflin. People, Out of Paper is not endorsed by DLD Productions or NBC and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The Office, the Office logo, and all character, pictures, and audio of The Office are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their registered copyright holders.